Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NILA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff-side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the Board of Directors of NILA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast. I am Max Barrick. And I'm Amit Bindra. We're going to try something a little bit different and cover a few different topics at once. We're going to jump around. We will, we will try to tell you when we're doing that. It's New Year's Day that we're recording this, so we're all a little groggy. We're all a little, I don't know what, and we just thought uh, it might be fun to kind of summarize what we did last year kind of pick up the pieces on a couple more topics that we touched on and then give some thank yous and some news about where the show's going to go from here. So first, Amit, how was your New Year's? It was great. I was going to say Happy New Year's to everyone. Hopefully the year isn't going too poorly already for people. And <laughs> to Max, I'm sorry about Michigan. That's okay. So for those who don't care or follow, Michigan played in the playoff last night, as did Amit's beloved Alabama Crimson Tide. On my front, Michigan did not show so well. They lost very badly to University of Georgia. I, however, don't care. I'm still in a very good mood because Michigan beat Ohio State this year and they won the Big Ten. And I started the season hoping slash thinking that my coach would get fired and am instead have nothing to complain about. So it was sort of, we were playing with house money and, uh, you know, they won the Big Ten and flags fly forever. So there you go. And, and I'm looking forward to Alabama, Georgia in the championship game, partially because I have a friend who went there to law school. So it's going to be a fun 10 days of trash talk. But this segues well with our first topic. Well, hold on a minute. Roll Tide, because I will be rooting for you guys on that one. So there you oh, go. fantastic. Let's do it. I also, I realize they're probably going to be an underdog in Vegas. And I got to say, it is kind of fun sometimes to root for the underdog. It's been a while for me. So that'll be We have fun. not been an underdog in a single game since 2007, I don't think but they might be in this title game, even though they beat Georgia. But any event, so one good segue here is we're going to talk about Urban Meyer, which I think you have some thoughts and opinions on. So Max, who is Urban Meyer? Who is Urban Meyer? Where do you even start on that? Urban Meyer haunts my dreams. No. So for the non, and again, apologies for the NFL, Ben, for those who are not terribly large sports fans, we promise this is not becoming a sports or NFL podcast. We've been, we've been promised that we're not allowed to turn it into anything but an employment law show, but this gives us a little freedom to, to wiggle into other areas. So we're going to, we're going to do that. So, okay. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer until a few weeks ago was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is an NFL franchise, albeit a moribund one for the last, I don't know how long they're not very good before that he had coached at university of Florida, won a couple of championships there, then sort of flamed out spectacularly. He has a history of doing very well, but not lasting places. Cause he's not very good at losing. He doesn't take it very well. And he tends to run, at least when he was in college, he tends to run programs that sometimes get into some trouble and sort of wear out his welcome places. So he spent a few years at Florida, did very well, flamed out, left, quote unquote, retired for like a year, and then went to Ohio State, where he was extremely successful again. Uh, Michigan never succeeded in beating him, but he left under odd circumstances. He... When he was at Ohio State, one of the one of the position coaches, I think it was a wide receivers or linebackers coach, was a guy by the name of Zach Smith, whose like uncle or grandfather had been a longtime Ohio State coach. The guy had a really horrific record of domestic abuse, and Urban Meyer knew about it, allegedly. Now, actually, I don't even know if it was alleged. I think it's pretty well known he knew about it and really didn't do anything about it and seemed to tolerate having a, a pretty horrific person who had a 
frankly, uh, disgusting record of, of domestic abuse on his staff. He ended up getting suspended briefly for it, came back, finished his year, beat Michigan is because that's what they did. And then once again, supposedly retired. Oddly, they gave him a class on leadership to teach there, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty despicable, but, but I digress. So anyway, long story short, the guy was one of the better regarded college football coaches based on performance for many years. About a year ago, ends up taking a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars and does not even make it a full season. Yeah, unfortunately, we're doing more football talk just because football keeps intersecting with employment law. And so I think what's interesting about the Urban Meyer situation is, um, at least in terms of Jacksonville, and this piece is important, most employees generally are going to be at-will employees. So that means that an employer can separate them for any non-discriminatory reason. But in the NFL, coaches generally have contracts that are more fixed or they have guaranteed money. So to terminate them, They'd either would have to have cause if they don't want to pay out the rest of the contract, or there would have to be some maybe mutual separation, something like what happened with the John Gruden situation. So with Urban Meyer, and correct me if I'm wrong, Max, Jacksonville terminated him for cause, which means they're not going to pay out the rest of his contract. It's a good question, Amit, and just to let the listeners know how well prepared we are, I actually need to double check on that. So Amit, can you fill up this room for a moment? Yep, I will. So I think they did terminate him for cause. And there's a bunch of reasons as to why they could. But I think what's this isn't an uh, this story isn't over. And unfortunately, for our listeners, we probably will recap it again in the future, once we have a better sense of what's going on here. Throughout this year, there are a bunch of different allegations that came up with Urban Meyer. I don't know if people saw this, but there was a video that went viral because he was. I, I saw the video. I, I saw the video. <laughs> oh, you saw the video? You want to talk about the video? No, after you. This is also why. So I'll back up for a moment. There's a lot of reasons there could be cause here. What we don't, I don't think have, I don't think it's public, is how his contracts specifically define cause. A lot of times these contracts or employment agreements will have a multi-pronged definition of cause. Usually it's actually fairly broad and gives the employer a lot of discretion. It might even be like it's cause if you violate a company policy, which who knows what that technically means. Presumably with Urban Meyer, he had a lawyer look at his agreement, look at the cause language and try to keep it as tight as possible. Also, he had performance issues. A team did not do very well. It was much worse than anticipated. Two and 11. Typically wouldn't two be and 11. They won yeah, two, two games and, and they lost 11. And their quarterback, Lawrence, who was a quarterback at Clemson College, prior to this season, I believe he had never lost a game. I'm not positive about that, but I think it's pretty true. So Urban Meyer coaches his team. They have the star quarterback from college who has never lost a game before, and then they go to an 11. So in any event, his separation wouldn't be for his performance. It would be because of other forms of misconduct. And so there are a bunch of things that happened this year. One was a viral video that Max will talk about in a moment. But another thing that happened was back in sometime in August or September, allegedly he kicked one of the players on the team. And I think there are other things too. So I think this is going to be a situation where there is like a pile of different things that could be caused to justify a separation. So yeah, Ahmed is correct. I did I did my research as he was talking. Yeah, at least at the time of the firing, the the Jacksonville Jaguars have announced this is going to be a four-cause firing. As some folks who listen may may recall, we talked about in the John Gruden article It is unusual in the NFL for these coaches to be fired and not at least a good chunk of their contracts to paid out just because they tend to have more owed to them. And these are just stronger contracts than most of the people that we as employment lawyers typically see. Um, 
every article that I've seen up to this point, and this is jogging my memory now, we did do some prep for this, is that it was going to be a situation where he was fired for cause, which is unusual. So what are those causes? Well, there is the video that Ahmed alluded to. Jacksonville, I'm sure, lost a game in the state of Ohio to Cincinnati or Cleveland. And rather than fly home to Jacksonville with the team, Meyer stuck around Ohio allegedly to hang out with his family. Instead, what it is apparent he did was he went to one of the bars that he owned and was videotaped and it went to the internet because that's just how things go these days of him basically grinding on various people and just sort of, I don't know, being inappropriate. Yeah, and being an inappropriate sleazy dude, right. So that was one thing. There was a story that came out recently where he pulled all of his assistant coaches into a room because he was taking his lack of success so well and basically screamed at all of them and said, he's a winner. You know, this guy's won at every level and made them all go around the room and announce what they had ever won or accomplished that justified their existence. And then there was this incident where he kicked the kicker on the team who I think until he got there had been really successful, maybe like a pro bowl kicker, like kicked him while he was stretching one day and like yelled at him and basically said, Hey, expletive, you're going to start making your kicks, you know, for better, more likely for worse, you know, sporting events or sporting situations are those that historically have allowed this sort of a work environment to exist. But I think one of the good things we've started to see in these player empowerment movements is that this sort of behavior doesn't fly anymore. And maybe there was a time where he could have gotten away with that sort of thing. But certainly nowadays, especially if you're not winning, it's not really going to go very well for you. No, I mean, that's always the thing with football is performance on the field probably dictates the employment actions. So unfortunately, a lot of these things, I think, become, they fester for a long time because sports kind of puts it under the rug. And here, there was a double whammy of on the field, the team was doing very poorly and all all these things were happening. And there may be a lot more. This is only the stuff that we are aware of that's public. There might be a lot of stuff that was happening behind the scenes that's even more egregious that just never came out. What what's So his contract initially it was reported to be a five-year contract worth between 10 to 12 million per season. So he have, he'll have been paid on the first season, but I think what they're going to end up fighting over is that remaining 40 to $48 million for the remaining four seasons. And so that's really what the intersection is then with employment law is going to be what really defines cause under this contract. And is he going to end up filing a lawsuit or are they going to work out some sort of settlement? It'll be interesting to see where both sides kind of draw the line on this one. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when these guys get fired in the NFL and all these professional sports, there, there always seems to be kind of a dog pile period after it ends where people are sort of leaking out bad things. So you wonder if this is one where anybody fights it publicly too hard, just because if this guy's trying to salvage his reputation and get another job somewhere someday, he may not want this to become a public flame war where all the rest of his dirty laundry is aired. 100%. And so far, a lot of Urban's dirty laundry is being aired, and it's kind of easy to do so. Part of it was his own, you know, his own videos are going viral or his own conduct. And he, and he um, admitted that he had said that to his other coaches he had no problem yeah. with it <laughs> yeah i don't think any of these are even disputable issues there was a video he's admitting the allegations the kicker i don't think he even disputed what happened with the kicker though maybe i'm wrong and i think from jacksonville standpoint the, the the tricky part for them is going to be they have not performed very well as max has indicated so they want to be able to recruit other coaches and talent and stuff like that so they have to be cautious too about being perceived as an employer who doesn't pay out his contracts or nickels and dimes people And so I think here they're going to win the court of public opinion. And so that shouldn't be an issue, but that's probably one thing they want to be to some degree cognizant about as well. Okay. So I think this is a good moment for us to take a quick break and then we'll transition to talking about additional information that's coming out about the Washington football team. 
Hey, this is Ahmed and Max. Thanks for listening to Employee to Lawyer. I hope you're all enjoying the show and the content and all of our guest stories. And we'd love your help in spreading news about Neil Illinois and the show. Please encourage your friends and family to subscribe and share. And if you happen to listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review. But only if it's going to be a five-star rating. Yeah, otherwise we're all set. And we're back. Amit, you wanted to cover briefly the John Gruden case one more time and sort of talk about some stuff that's come out or things that have come around since we did that show. Yeah, so when we talked about the John Gruden situation uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked about it from mostly from the standpoint of John Gruden and his lawsuit against the NFL. And uh, I think just maybe in a, a week ago, one of the employees from the Washington football team who had talked to the investigators had, had just written an op-ed in the Washington Post. So to recap the initial investigation, in July of 2020, the Washington Post reported that 15 female employees of the Washington football team had experienced pretty egregious sexual and verbal abuse. There was then a follow-up article in the Washington Post where former cheerleaders had alleged that they were being recorded without their consent during a swimsuit calendar shoot uh, I believe in 2008 and 2010. And then recently, Rachel Eagleston, a former Washington football team employee and customer service representative, wrote her and published her story in the Washington Post, I believe about a week ago. And some of the quotes that are in that story are you know, pretty egregious, textbook sexual misconduct. And I would encourage all of our listeners just to listen to her narrative. She writes that in her eight years working for Washington in her 20s, we're excruciating full of sexual harassment and verbal abuse. She said that when she reported the harassment to her bosses and team executives and lawyers, most employees failed to act, and the ones who did were ultimately separated or fired. She even passed up an interview for a promotion because her potential boss was known for his verbal abuse. And I think the the main thesis that I'm drawing from her post article that she just published is there's a lot of anger and resentment that the NFL did not come out with a public statement or a public report. They have done so in the past, as we mentioned in our last episode. They did so in the context of Ray Rice. They did so in the context of Tom Brady when he allegedly had, you know, deflated footballs. So a lot of times when NFL players are engaging in misconduct, the NFL has come out and they have come out with a public report. But when it's the team, they've done very little. And so here... We mentioned before, too, there was a $10 million fine. But when you're an entity like Washington, you're a multi-billion dollar entity. So $10 million really isn't going to do much to them to deter future violations. And she writes, to endure all of this, to come forward, to share a terrible experience, to seek change at a place that so desperately needs it, and to have it go nowhere, left me heartbroken and discouraged. I mean, it's really upsetting to hear that, though, unfortunately... I think not terribly shocking for any employment litigators who are listening to this, right? Because we, I mean, how many times does somebody sit in your office metaphorically telling you, I, I wanted to come forward. I trusted these people. I thought they had everybody's best interests at heart, you know, and I found out that they really weren't going to take it seriously. But to back up real briefly to one other thing you said about when the players are involved, the NFL tends to want to make, you know, an example, or they come out with a report or they're going to do a full postmortem. But when the teams are involved, they tend to want to, you know, do some window dressing to it, slap a, a show fine on it and tell everybody to move on with their lives. I mean, it makes sense, right? Roger Goodell, the, the commissioner works for the teams, right? They, he serves at their pleasure, so to speak, and he owes the players nothing. I think that's a pretty, pretty expected outcome. 
that's the fundamental problem. I mean, Goodell doesn't work for the players. He doesn't work for the public. He works literally for the owners of the NFL. So if you're an NFL team, he's essentially your employee. So their incentive is not to make themselves look bad. They want to pay some lip service to say, look, we did an investigation. We had findings. We have penalties, et cetera. But they don't want all of that to be out there. But in the context of player misconduct, they will come out with 100 plus page reports because then it's different. Now they can do something like that because they're, and they frame it as the integrity of the game in the context of players, but not in the context of owners and teams. Well, kind of reminds me of when Major League Baseball in the 90s, like I grew up watching baseball at a time when the players were, let's just say, very physically big and hit a lot of home runs, not in the same way they are now where they're doing it with just better health information and just better athletes playing. But let's say they had some artificial strength enhancers. They were using steroids and HGH and all that stuff was really big in the game. And it wasn't, I think people forget this. It wasn't actually against the rules until the early 2000s. And Major League Baseball at the time, Nobody really cared that Mark McGuire's arms were like wider than most people's torsos when he and Sammy Sosa were engaged in that big home run race in 1998. But Major League Baseball was happy to throw these guys under the bus and blame them and suspend players and, and do all these things and make it as though they didn't really know what was going on. And they weren't personally profiting off of these guys hitting 40 to 50 home runs a year with regularity like it was nothing. So I think, you know, these sports, Listen, Ahmet and I are big sports fans and we like doing these sports shows because they're fun for us. We can tie them to employment lot pretty well because as much as they are games, people make a living off of this stuff and there are rules to it and it, it ties into employment law. Um, but when, you know, these sporting leagues all have a lot of problems. I mean, there are a lot of things that are great about them. They entertain us. They give us a lot of things to look forward to. They're a nice distraction from reality. But the leagues have issues, and I think one of the common themes we continue to uncover is that these owners really can behave with impunity, do whatever they want, and because of just how much money these people have, the consequences are like non-existent for the owners themselves, and that to the extent that any of the quote-unquote problems in these leagues ever get fixed, it's always going to be with individuals sort of taking the fall for systemic problems like that, I think. Yeah, that's 100% right. The one thing that's unique, I think, about sports versus other industries or companies is you can have a little bit more public pressure. We talked about this before, too, but in this situation with Washington specifically, you have people in Congress asking for a public report. That's usually not going to happen for other companies. And you can have an op-ed piece in the Washington Post that's going to get some traction because the football team has a built-in audience and it might get some news coverage as well. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, $10 million seems like a lot of money, but it's really not when you are a multi-billion dollar entity. And as we said before, too, the ultimate consequence for something like this really is that Daniel Snyder has to sell the team. But when he sells the team, he makes billions of dollars. So that's not, it's a consequence in the sense of there's a small number of teams to own, but financially, it's not a consequence at all. So, I mean, I think... You know, the op-ed's a nice, a nice excuse for us to talk about this again. And it's really sad this woman had to go through this. I guess the hope is that moving forward, there continues to be public pressure in these sorts of situations and that there's at least enough fear in the league that they don't want to deal with the public backlash, that they stop tolerating this sort of behavior. Yeah. And I think, you know, just reading her piece, I think it's gut-wrenching that someone that, I mean, at any point in your career, but especially that early in your career, are, are giving up a promotional opportunity because of terrible male behavior, any type of behavior at a company. 
So yeah. If if there are new developments, and hope hopefully there are good ones in the future, we'll cover them. But for now, this is where we are with Washington. All right, let's take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do a short wrap up to the last year on the show and just talk about what to expect moving forward. Hi, everyone. It's Max and Amit. If you want to support our podcast and also promote your business, please contact us about airing a ad during some of our episodes. Thanks for sticking with us through this sort of meandering and different episode. And we wanted to finish up just by thanking all of our guests and listeners and just doing a brief recap of how we got here. We were not organized enough to have this year-end show come out before New Year's Eve. So bear with us. It's going to be an early 2022 summary of 21 that's coming out. But first, we just want to recap. We had almost 40 episodes come out. We've had 39 as of today, January 1st of 22. We have had 39 episodes come out of this show. So a huge thank you to our listeners for actually, you know, listening and giving us an audience to, to have these folks tell their stories, to let Amit and I meander and ramble about various employment law topics and just sort of riff and and listening in i just want to thank just everyone for the opportunity it's been really cool being able to do this but also getting to learn more about people's um past to where they are my favorite conversations on these podcasts have been where people have told us how they got into their current job what steps they took that sort of thing and it's been a lot of fun listening to those stories yeah, I mean, I think everybody's personal journey of what led them here is really special. I mean, I'm reminded of Chiquita Hall Jackson's very inspiring life story. Rachel Weisberg, one of our very early episodes, telling us a really moving story about her dad and his health and how that led her to get involved in disability rights. Carolyn Aberman, whose father inspired her to become a lawyer, Elizabeth Ricks, and all the work she's done for the LGBTQ movement. I'm going to forget people, so I'm just going to list our guests and thank them. Karen Doran, Chiquita Hall Jackson, Rachel Weisberg, Richard Gonzalez, David Lee, David Weldon, Rachel Ablin, Catherine Simmons-Gill, Michelle Katz, Helen Block, Lori Goldstein, Susan Gotham, not Gotham, Amy Gardner, Carolyn Aberman, Elizabeth Ricks, Megan O'Malley, Jim Zoris, Jason Hahn, Gail Eisenberg, and not last but definitely not least, Mark Dubofsky. Yep, they were all awesome guests, and I don't know how we did it, but we somehow put together 39 episodes that people are listening to based on our metrics. So thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, thank you to the board of NILA Illinois for allowing us the opportunity to do this. Yeah. And another, I'll, I'll thank directly Catherine Simmons-Gill as our outgoing board president, just for really um, not only allowing Amit Met and I to do this, but really encouraging us and pushing us to continue to do it. And to Amit for coming up with this awesome idea when Catherine and the rest of the board stuck Amit and I with the communications committee and basically said, all right, millennials, go modernize it. Amit had this idea for a podcast, so we wouldn't be sitting here but for that. And I got to say, a lot of times when we're doing these things, Max is on the road, like literally right now, I think he's in Michigan dealing with family stuff. So same thing to Max. Thank you for kind of pushing us to this point. One last shout out I want to do, because I think it's important. And again, I don't know exactly when this is going to air, but the news is definitely out there. I want to shout out Betty White. She yeah. had such an incredible career. She's about to turn a hundred. If you haven't already, I would definitely binge a lot of the comment, this commentary and stuff that's coming out about her. There's just so many cool stories about all the good she did in the world. And even though she passed um, unexpectedly, I think it's something we can celebrate. The best comment I've seen on this or tweet was she timed it perfectly in the sense of everyone is going to be toasting her because it was New Year's Eve. And so she might be the most toasted person on the day she passed and anyone ever. So that's kind of a cool way to end a really awesome arc. 
there were a couple of other deaths in the last week, I guess, if that's the way we're going to do this and make it perky. Desmond Tutu, who had been an incredible activist, I think, in the fight against apartheid South Africa and just human rights generally was incredible. And Harry Reid, the ex-Senate uh, majority leader of the Democratic Party. I spent a summer on the Hill. It was 2009. Some of the problems we faced back then almost seemed quaint. But, you know, for politicians, when they die, it tends to be a very polarizing event. And they've done a lot of bad with a lot of good. I have to say, I, I didn't know his life story before of how he grew up without like running water in his house, like having to commute 45 miles and stay with family in town. He grew up in a town without a school and to where he got and the number of people he helped and never forgetting where he got, where he came from and fighting to get people healthcare, whatever you think of the Affordable Care Act. Like the guy did a lot as well. And I, I was really moved reading a lot of the stories about after he'd passed. So to just some of those folks who we lost this year, who did a lot, whether to entertain us or fight for a better world or what have you, you know, thank you, I guess. All right. Well, that was a perky end to all of this. So just again, to thank everybody for listening, please stick with us. We're we, we hope we're getting better at it. We, we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. We're going to tell some more cool stories. We're really excited about some of the episodes we've got lined up. We've got some folks coming on soon to talk to us from the defense side, the management side. We've got some people from some wonderful nonprofit organizations coming on soon, including the Time's Up Legal Network and a lot of other good shows coming up. So please do stick with us. Keep listening. Happy New Year to everybody. Please continue to wear masks and get your vaccines and boosters and be safe And as this COVID horrificness continues to rage on. And if you have any topic or guest ideas, definitely feel free to share them. We've had a couple come in so far. So we're more than happy to do a mailbag episode or bring on guests that the listeners want us to talk to. Thanks everyone. Be safe. Definitely continue to wear your mask, social distance, get your boosters if you haven't already. And hopefully we can get through 2022. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.